Hello, Theater Forks. Welcome to episode 10. We officially have tens of episodes. Woo! Woo! It's been a hot minute since you've heard from your two favorite girls, Amy Driscoll and... Diana Shabai-Bucker. But we are happy to be back in this short month of February. Diana, what are we going to talk about today? Well, since February is a short month, we're going to talk about shows that had a short run, a short professional run, I should say, with us, uh, Broadway or off-Broadway or something like that. So, yeah. Amy, why why have we been away for so long? We've been so busy. So busy doing theater things. <laughs> We've just been, it's just, it's been crazy. We're trying to plan this um, spring summer season and we've been rolling out uh, our Love Stinks Cabaret. Thank you for everyone who was involved in that or who watched that. That was a lot of fun to do. And uh, right now this week we're rolling out our Black History Month special, I will call it. Um, unlike our other cabarets, it's not behind a paywall. Everything is on our Facebook page, so please go and um, listen to these wonderful artists that um, lent their time and talent to us. We were so grateful um, to them. So yeah, just go to our Facebook page and uh, it's all there for you. And we'll be rolling that out um, till the end of the month. And I like I feel if I have a free time, like January was a dark month for us. For your non-theater forks, that means there's no shows in January. Pretty much our whole space was dark. We didn't have an event. And so I was like, Diana, January is dark. We're going to get so much done. And now it's February 21st. And we're just doing a pod now. Yes. So I think I do better when there's many things and I just have to keep scheduled. Where free time suddenly eats me and Oh and yeah, it's gone. totally. We were like, we're gonna have so much free time, we're gonna do everything, and we absolutely did not get anything done until February first. No. So <laughs> here we are. Here we are, family. Well, I will start with Sondheim's shortest show, Merrily We Roll Along. <laughs> Premiered in 1981, music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim, of course. Of course, uh, book by George Firth, directed by Hal Prince. That's all the same creative team as did Company a decade earlier, um, which obviously was a huge success. But uh, Merrily opened November 16th, 1981. It closed uh, November 28th, 1981. Six, Very short. 16 performances. So a little history. Um, I've talked about this before, but I will talk about Sondheim all the time. Um, so he was just booming in the 70s. So uh, Company came out in 1970, and they finally won the best score, Tony, for Company after doing... Um, well, he had the lyrics to West Side Story and Gypsy, and then he had a few smaller shows like uh, Anyone Can Whistle and Do I Hear a Waltz, and uh, this wasn't a smaller show, but a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, but he did not win Best Score Tony for that. So company happened, and then there was Follies, A Little Night Music, Pacific Overtures, and Sweeney Todd. So it was just like boom, 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 so busy. Um, and I learned recently, after opening of Sweeney, he actually had a heart attack. Which I didn't know, because he's 91 this year, but yeah, had a heart attack in like his late 40s after Sweeney opened. I mean, not surprising, because as a person who has worked the theater life, 
you work constantly and feed yourself caffeine and garbage. And in the so, 70s, I imagine probably a large a amount of cocaine. A lot so, of cocaine. Yeah. So keep going. Got to keep up those uppers. Yeah, exactly. So crazy decade. So um, on the heels of the most successful show to date, Sweeney, they decided to move forward with the same creative team as company. Um, but yeah, Merrily was open for 52 previews, which is kind of a lot of previews. Yeah. When a show is in previews for a long time, cough cough spider-man um it's generally not a good sign and 16 performances so um the show is based on the kaufman and hart play of the same name which was in the 30s i think um so it's about franklin shepherd who this is from wikipedia is a rich famous and influential songwriter and film producer giving a speech to the graduating class of 1980 they asked him how he got to where he is now and he reflects on his life throughout his speech as the years roll back over 20 years of his life we see how he went from penniless composer to wealthy producer and what he gave up to get there. So the show goes backwards, which um, is interesting because it's like, and uh, Sondheim talks about this in his book, um, Look, I Made a Hat, which is his collected lyrics from uh, a musical called Saturday Night, which is pre-West Side Story to Merrily. And then he has a second book, Finishing the Hat, which is uh, Sunday in the Park with George through, I don't know, the beginning of the 2000s. Hello, Theater Forks. This is Diana from the editing room. I just realized I said those books backwards. So the first book from Saturday night through Merrily We Roll Along is called Finishing the Hat. And then Sunday in the Park with George through the 2000s is called Look, I Made a Hat. So uh, sorry for the misinformation. You can also get both of those books together in one box called The Hat Box. Um, there you go. Uh, do your Sondheim research. But he talks about how you know, in a typical musical, you have like a love song and then the reprise is like sort of the bitter divorce version of that love song. But like in this show, the bitter version comes first and then we get like the love song later, which is very bittersweet and can be interesting. But um, anyway, so this is what he says in that book about this show. He says, Merrily We Roll Along was written in 1980, but the story, which is about the souring of ideals and erosion of friendships, concerns two songwriters who came to the, their maturity in the 1950s, where traditional song forms still ruled the stage. It seemed appropriate, therefore, that it should be told as much as possible in a series of 32 bar songs, which are songs in four stanzas of equivalent length, like AABA or ABAB songs, right? Um, I knew this would make the, soar, the score sound anachronistic. In fact, I hope it would. I was trying to roll myself back to my exuberant early days to recapture the sophistication and idealism that I'd shared with Hal Prince, Mary Rogers, Jerry Bach, and Sheldon Harnick, John Kander, and Fred Ebb, and the rest of us uh, so show business supplicants all stripped back to our innocence. So, sort of, um, that's what I'm looking for autobiographical trying to roll back um but yeah uh it was not not a hit uh this is from the new york times review it says sondheim has given this evening a half dozen songs that are crushing and beautiful that soar and linger and hurt but the show that contains them is a shambles we keep waiting for some insight into these people but all we get is a fatu fatuous fatuous attitudinizing attitudinizing about <laughs> how ambition success and money always lead to rack and ruin so, great songs. And that's sort of, I've never seen a production of Merrily We Roll Along. But from what I understand, there's this production in the 80s, and then they sort of revamped it in the mid-90s and um, brought it to London, and it won the Olivier for Best New Musical in uh -huh. London. So, um, but if you go back now and listen to Merrily We Roll Along, the cast recording, the score is so good. It's so good. And it's, it's like, 
it's not very typical Sondheim. Like, there's an overture, which is not very Sondheim, and it's very, I don't know. It seems more energetic, which I suppose is reflective of the characters in their youth, but Mm -hmm. it's so good, and it stands out of the Sondheim canon, and it's just so, so worth your time. It's so excellent. Most friends stay or they don't make the great new ones are quick. There's also, there was, there's a bootleg going around of the New York City Centers did a version of this in like 2012 or something that Lin-Manuel Miranda is in, which of is course. why there's a bootleg going yeah. around of it. Um, and there's also a documentary um, called Best Worst Thing That Ever Could Have Happened, which is on Netflix. And it's about sort of the creation of this show and the effect that it's had on its cast members. Fun fact, Jason Alexander was in the original Broadway cast of Merrily We Roll Along. Wow. George Costanza. There you go. No wonder he was so crabby in the 90s. I know. He's just very upset. Just very put out. About Marilyn. he did a lot of work. Yeah. And it just never went. Yeah. It's so funny how things that should be magnificent don't work out. Right. And then the, the opposite is true. Like, things that you're like, this is going to be terrible. Yeah. Turn out to be lovely. Like one of your other choices, Diana SpongeBob. I know. I know. Uh, Unexpected. I love it. What? I never talked about SpongeBob. But so after Merrily, obviously, everyone is crushed that it's only open for 16 performances. And Sondheim actually said he wasn't going to write musicals anymore. You just imagine if Sondheim just was like, ah, I'm done. But uh, as we all know, of course, um, his friend James Lapine came to him and said, listen, you can do this. And they were inspired by. Sunday afternoon on the Isle of the Grand Shot. They write Sunday in the Park with George. Sondheim wins the Pulitzer. So. And then we get are. into the woods and we get assassins and he's, I think he's still writing. I don't know. He hasn't produced a major work in a while, but. I feel like once kicking. a writer, always a writer. Like, oh, yeah. To stay creative and sharp, that's just something you do. For sure. Forever. And I mean, he's 91 and he's still like walking around and doing stuff and Mm -hmm. he before COVID obviously he was like still in the rehearsal room at the West Side Story revival and um, I actually he went to one of the previews of the company revival so he's like out doing stuff he's not just a feeble old man so also also (laughs) imagine being a wee bitty baby Broadway actor who finally got their big break and is in the chorus of West Side Story, the revival, and in walks freaking Steven Sondheim to watch your rehearsal. I would forget my name and right. everything I've ever learned and just see myself to the door. <laughs> like, I'm not worthy. So crazy. I remember reading um, an article about him coming back and you saying how much he hates I Feel Pretty. The song, and they actually cut it from the revival because it's, you know, this edgy I revival. Hate, I hate Yeah, pretty. he's like, this is embarrassing. And he was, and well, and he said mostly, it's like, it's not true to the character. If Maria is supposed to be naive, she wouldn't have these very um, smart, clever lyrics. Like, it does not match. But it's, it's West Side Story. Like, you, like, for a lot of people, that is the musical. Like, mm-hmm. it is, it's Patti LaPone's favorite musical. Well, and so, if it's Patti's favorite, then... I mean, I can't have too much problem with Good it. enough it's for Patti's everyone. Musical, but, yeah. So, 
Just Did I uh, ever tell you about the all-white production of West Side Story we did at my high school? Oh, oh Amy. <laughs> I was in eighth grade, and I auditioned uh-huh. and did not make the cut. Oh. So I was on the media team, so I designed the poster oh, yes. for West Side Story. Oh, I drew God. a building, a lot of little windows. <laughs> it was a time. <laughs> this was back in the day when... No one understood why blackface was offensive and just not blackface, but like used a much darker complexion. That's, that's still blackface. Yeah, it's still it's appropriation. Face, yeah. um, and uh, just darkened their faces a little bit oh, God. for the stage. Oh, God. That's, um, yeah. Looking back now, I don't think I've ever been so grateful to not have been cast. Yeah. So I don't have to claim I was that say, you production don't have as my own. That. Oh, God. Yeah, that is a blessing for sure. <sighs> what a time. Wild. What a time to be alive. God. Let's stop. It, listen, I know West High Story is a classic. I know you can have a big chorus, which is probably why high schools do it. Don't. Don't do West Side Story if you don't have the cast. West Side Story. Just like, don't do Hairspray. Don't do Hairspray. Actually, there's a clause in Hairspray now that says you can't do it unless everyone is appropriate. appropriate. Good. There should be. Yeah, I saw that just recently they did that, so you can't have an all-white Hairspray. Excellent. Like, as as it should be. Right. Yeah. There are lots of shows you can do that have a big chorus where you don't. Right, that you don't. You can cast whoever you'd like. Um, West Side Story is not one of them. And, like, let's be honest, if, like, 2468 TV has to integrate is literally in the script of the story. Maybe we shouldn't have all the white kids holding the picket signs. Yeah. I don't know. Not. Maybe I'm wrong. But <laughs> That's I don't a good think idea. Not, especially not now. Like, no one can pretend right. to be, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that was offensive. You did. No, you did. We did know that. Yeah. Yeah, it's over. Okay. What's one of your shows? Oh, okay. I've been talking for a long time. Um. All right. Uh, okay, so I'm going to start with, speaking of, um, I'm going to start with Porgy and Bess. Yes. Summertime and the living is easy. Fish are jumping and the cotton is by Gershwin um, and it sort of follows the story of Porgy who's a disabled black street beggar living in the slums of Charleston um, and he tries to rescue Bess from the clutches of Crown her um, very violent and very possessive like boyfriend um, and save her basically from herself from drugs and Horn around and um, all of that good jazz. Yes. Um, and so they did a Broadway run in the summer of 2012. Well, it started, so it premiered, um, opened at the Richard Rogers Theater in uh, January on January 12, 2012. Um, they had 293 performances all together. Um, it was with George Gershwin, uh, DuBose, and Dorothy Hayward, and Ira Gershwin. 
adapted by Susan Laurie Parks and Deidre Murray, um, directed by Diane Paulus. Also, all of this information can be found on your local Wikipedia page. <laughs> um, um, uh, and it was directed by Diane Paulus, choreography by Ronald K. Brown. Um, the, my best favorite, amazing Audra. Yes, number one. Played Bess. And the wonderfully sweet and talented Norm Lewis. I adore Norm played, Lewis so um, much. Porgy. Other notable cast members include David Allen Greer, Philip Boykin, Nikki Renee Daniels, Joshua Henry, who was a Burr. I think That's right. originated Burr he in was, Chicago. And he was um, Billy Bigelow in the latest Carousel. Yep. Yep. Um, he's wonderful. Christopher Invar, uh, Brianna Marie Purim, and Natasha Yvette Williams. So I, little baby Amy, went to New York in August of 2012. Um, and I got to see Porgy and Bess. Um, but it was a Sunday afternoon matinee and our queen was not in the show. Um, so I was so excited. I didn't know a lot about the show. I love Norm Lewis, um, because I spent the previous summer listening to nothing but the Little Mermaid soundtrack. <gasps> I love um, the Little Mermaid And so musical. I was psyched out of my mind to see Norm and Audra, yes. who is my queen. And we get in there, and I get in my seat, and I'm in, like, the last row of the balcony um, in the Richard Rogers Theater. And I open my program, and out falls the card. Today's yep. performance... Bess will be portrayed by, and I'm very, very sorry. I don't remember the understudy's name. Um, and I cried. I literally almost walked out of the theater. And then I was like, stop it. You're here to see. It's yeah. about more than a person. And it was one of the most beautiful shows I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, a story uh, about something that I will never understand. And, and so beyond my realm of comprehension in general of like living on the street and being a prostitute and being addicted to drugs right. on top of being poor African-Americans right. in the United States. Right. You know, so yeah. like things that I will never, ever understand. And the story was just, I mean, the storytelling and the use of movement to tell the story was just, I mean, Goosebumps talking about yeah. it. It was absolutely breathtaking, and I was a sobby mess the whole time. Like, not sobby. Like, the same sobby when I saw the Amish Project. Right. Poor game mess. <laughs> and, like, these beautiful black, um, like, folks are all around me looking yeah. at me like, girl, you yeah. need to pull it together. <laughs> I'm so sorry. This is so hard. You know, and then at the end of the show, spoiler alert, Porky decides he's going to go and try and find... Best, she's run away. And he, like, sings this, like, beautiful song, Norm Lewis. And he turns and he walks up stage, like, limping away. And all, like, out loud. I got to really work on controlling my, like, outer thoughts in a show. I'm like, he's never going to fight her. (laughs) (laughs) As the curtain, like, fall. Oh, my gosh. It was just. I'm on my way. I'm on my way to a heavenly land. To a heavenly land. I'll ride that long, long road if you are there to guide my hand. Oh, Lord. 
like Diana, who actually did research on why the runs were short, I'm just talking about personal experience in these shows that should have run forever. I mean, that one, I imagine it was probably just big stars don't yeah, want to do a, a show forever. Run. And yeah. Courtney and Bess is basically, oh, that version is, well, it is an opera, but that version was adapted. adapted so I'm sure yeah. it's very hard on your voice. Yes. you have to sing oh, the whole thing. Oh, it's the whole thing. Thi- and, and, yeah. and every, I mean, everything. So, right. yeah, I mean, it was just, I mean, how... I like looking on these shows. I was like, I'm just gonna look up all the shows that I've seen live, and see like where these runs yeah. were, and how lucky I was. Oh, totally. To see these shows. Yeah, I um, saw Norm Lewis in Phantom of the Opera, which he was the first Black Phantom yes. on Broadway, and he was so good. And it was opposite uh, Sierra Vargas, who was Ariel in the Mermaid. So, uh, yeah, that was that was actually my first Broadway show. So I mean, original, Phantom of the Opera. But his voice is like a warm hug. Just knife through butter. Oh, so good. God. Yeah. I downloaded his Christmas album this year just yes. so that I could feel like I was at one of his shows. He has such an interesting story. He didn't start acting till like the middle of his life. He was like an advertising exec before, and he didn't hit Broadway till he was like in his 40s. Like, Amazing. very cool. Yeah. Yeah, he's magnificent. Yeah. Porky and Bess is interesting because I was reading a book recently where actually... Of all people, Stephen Sondheim was sort of having a problem with this revival of Porgy and Bess because they called it the Gershwin's Porgy and Bess, but it had like it's not the opera; it's adapted for a musical. Right. And he was like, "Call it Diane Paulus's Porgy and Bess. Don't call right. it." He's I don't know, he's a cranky old man. But it is, it's sort of interesting because obviously the story is this very black story. It's these black mm-hmm. struggles, but it's written by white people, right? Right? The, Again, that's about the Gershwins. So it's like how authentic is this or are we or is it just white people talking about only the struggles of black people right, and, and not, not the joy embracing their joy and their victories exactly. as well which yeah. is probably why i was so affected by it because of my privilege right so not to take away from the magnificence of the no, show but definitely I, a conversation no, to I, have absolutely yeah. i agree with you and, and this is yeah. why you're always my dramaturg <laughs> and you make me think live on the pod there we go yeah and of course um uh want audra her fifth tony yeah which tied so. her with angela lansbury my um, other queen. The other queen. So yes. But yes. Yeah. Great. That's a that's a very good one. Porgy and Bess is important. But is that is that the first time it was revived? Or not revived written as a music. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Because I, I the only I like doing the research, it was just the opera performances. Right. Mm-hmm. Good. And the stage play. Yeah. It's your next one, Diana. Well, my next one in a completely different turn is uh, SpongeBob SquarePants, <laughs> the Broadway musical. Um, listen, I've talked about SpongeBob so much on this podcast already, but it just needs to be told. So the music is written, each song is written by somebody else. So some of the musicians you have in here, Cindy Lauper, David Bowie, Brian Eno, they might be giants, T.I., The Flaming Lips, Sarah Bareilles, another one of your queens. My queen. John Legend, Yolanda Adams, Steven Tyler and Joe Perry, um, the artist formerly known as Lady Antebellum, uh, Panic at the Disco, Plain White Tees, and more. Incredible. Like, half of that is, like, my playlist. Well, exactly. Tees, Panic at the Disco, Sarah, <laughs> Cindy Lauper. Yeah, and it's like, it sounds like, how do any, how do you put... Lady Antebellum and David Bowie beside each other in a show, and it's like this is this is a cohesive thing. But it right. is. It's so. It's just. It's so good. And it's like, obviously, there are a bunch of characters in 
SpongeBob. And when you go to see SpongeBob the Musical, you want to sort of hear from all of them. And so each of these musicians with their different songs gives a different character a different voice. Uh -huh. And so, so good. Um, book by Kyle Jarrow, directed by Tina Landau. It was opened December 4th, 2017, and closed uh, September 16th, 2018. I don't have a real reason for why this show closed. I think people are just like, Spongebob, this sounds stupid, and they didn't go see it, mm -hmm. which is a shame. Um, fun fact, it was the last show to be at the Palace Theater, because they are planning to raise the Palace Theater, like, three floors and put retail underneath it. Why would they do Judy that? Garland's Palace Theater. <laughs> Yeah. So even before the shutdown, there hasn't been a show in there since SpongeBob, huh. the end of 2018. Yep. Clearly. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I think I sent you this link of like a $15,000 chandelier. And I said, we should yeah. put this in the firehouse. That's from the palace. <gasps> They're selling things from the palace. Well, now it's time to do a GoFundMe. Well, that's what I'm saying. Listen, please All chip right. in $5 so we can buy a $15,000 chandelier. It would Dear fit friends. right in with our Art Deco It would for just lobby. $5 a day. Every day for the next for the 10 years. For the rest of your lives, <laughs> you too can be part of owning a piece of the Palace Theater. But it will live in the fire But it will live in the fire hall. You can in come visit it. You can come visit it, but yeah. you can't touch it. No. Don't ask. It's ours. Okay, so here is a very basic um, summary of Spongebob. Like I said, you want to sort of see all the characters, so it's... It feels like it feels like I'm jumping around, but I promise it makes sense. So um, it's a very typical day in, in Bikini Bottom. That's the first song, Bikini Bottom Day. And who's the lucky sponge in the mirror who is living his dream? Who's always extra careful with his dental hygiene? Gary, it's me. Happy just to be here in the world renowned. Bikini Bottom, how I love this. Where there's a big rumble and it's discovered that there is a volcano that's about to erupt and destroy the entire town. What's gonna happen? What? Very scary. So Sandy, Sandy Cheeks, the scientist, um, explains to everyone what's happening, but they don't believe her because she's a squirrel, she's not a sea creature, and she's an outsider. Hashtag topical. Right. Um, Sandy's character design is also very cool because in the original cast she's played by uh, Lily Cooper. So instead of her wearing like an astro, well she still has her astronaut suit, but instead of the bubble she just has an afro. Which is very That is cool. very cool. And sort what of gets around, commentary. you know. It, 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 yeah. It's, yeah, and it gets around having to, like, the light like reflecting in off. in the bubble. Yeah. yeah. So, and it also secures, Sandy will be a black woman for the entire run of this show. As Pours everything. she should She has be. to be. Yeah. So, that's very cool. But that also adds the element of we're not listening to the person of color of science. Right. Either. So, um, and there's, like, a whole thing where it's, like, we don't believe the outsider and like science isn't real and crazy. So anyway, um, Plankton dis uh, suggests that the town buy this like big safe that everyone goes into, um, but he has a secret plan. He's gonna brainwash everybody right. to go in the chum bucket. Um, but the town doesn't have the money to buy it. So they organize this televised fundraiser um, which features a band that Mr. Crab's daughter, Pearl, loves. And all she wants to do is follow this band around. Mm -hmm. And Squidward is anointed as the band's gopher because he's promised a clarinet solo on the fundraiser if he does so. Um, and he ends up, he ends up like messing up one thing and then the band leaves. But then he has this incredible song called I'm Not a Loser. And he 
tap dances in it, but because he's Squidward, the actor, um, it's Gavin Lee in, in the cast. He has like this extra set of legs. Uh-huh. It's so interesting. There's a Broadway.com video where they show him getting ready and it's like this whole suspender thing. So he's tap dancing with four legs. I'm so mad he did not win a Tony for this. His the SpongeBob Tony performance is I'm not a loser. You need to go watch it. It's so good. Um, Patrick Starr is the leader of a cult. There's like this cult that follows him around. They all dress like him. That um, is wonderful. Yeah. And uh, SpongeBob through all of this is still trying to prove he has management skills to be the leader of the Krusty Krab. Something's never changed. But that's sort of his thing. He has this song called. Um, just a simple sponge where he's like, okay, we need to team up. We need to do something about this. Sandy has the brains. Patrick has the brawn. And what do I have? He's like really struggling with, I don't know what I bring to the table. Mm -hmm. But at the end, he's sort of the one. Sandy, um, spoiler alert, sorry. Um, Sandy develops this device where you can throw it into the volcano and that will counteract the eruption. But SpongeBob is the one that throws it in. Uh -huh. And he sort of realizes that he is the one that has sort of orchestrated this whole team and what he brings to the table is management skills. So, so sweet. I love this show so much. Um, so it played 29 previews and 327 performances. Um, yeah, I think it just closed because people thought it was going to be like Disney theme park, like big right, and it foam actually characters. made you think. Yeah, it is mm -hmm. incredible. And the whole set is sort of made up of like found objects and like garbage, uh -huh. which I want a Tony for the set, which is the only Tony it won, which I'm very, very sad, upset yeah. about. Um, but uh, it's so cool because it's in the ocean and everything's mm -hmm. made up of garbage. Mm -hmm. So very cool. So um, the original cast recording, which is the actually the Chicago cast, not the Broadway cast. So it's a little bit different, but that's available on Spotify. And then they televised it um, on Nickelodeon, which is very faithful to the stage production, almost identical. That's available for purchase on Amazon. So you can go watch the whole thing legally right now. Uh -huh. um, you, and you need to. It's You can watch it with kids if you want to. You don't have to watch it with kids. It's... It's excellent. Yeah. But see, I think one of the, like, the smartest thing that cartoon writers do is put messages in. Yeah. Because the chill, like, kids aren't stupid. They get this. You know, like, they'll take exactly. away the SpongeBob set was made of garbage. Right. You know, they're the ones that are like, nah, -uh, we can't use straws, the sea turtles. Right. Even now, kids are the ones that just wear their masks. Right. And they don't complain about it. Right. So I think it's very clever. You know, like, I think the writers were very intentional and very clever to to this big draw about, 
you know, yeah. bringing kids in and giving them this message. Yeah. Which will be subliminal for most of them, but I think, I mean, they take it in. They take it in much more than we do. Totally. Even if it's just like, why are they being mean to Sandy? How right. Come they're not listening to her. Right. Clearly, she knows what she's doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And even if what they take away from it is because Sandy's a girl, even right. that exactly. is like still a sticking point. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. yeah, I, yeah, what a, I mean, it makes me sad when things like that don't, aren't successful because it should be. Oh, yeah, totally. And I, I think it went on tour or was going on tour, but obviously right. um, that's on hold for now. So hopefully um, more people get to see it because mm-hmm. it's so underrated. And there's this one point where um, Ethan Slater, who plays SpongeBob, is like, to get into the volcano, basically, there's, like, this big circle that he's climbing. So it's, like, it's like a, oh, it's so hard to describe. It's, like, a circle that's, like, this, and this is, like, the center of the volcano. There's like, It's, like, a donut. There's, like, opening uh-huh. in the middle, but it's, like, sort of, like, a fence. So he's, like, climbing all over, and he's circling, and he's singing upside down and climbing. It's, like, this was, Spongebob season came out the same season as the band's visit. So, which also had a pretty short run for a Tony Award, mm-hmm. but I feel like it was um, Band's Visit, SpongeBob, Mean Girls, and something else. And the Tony committee was like, we are better than most of the shows this year. And they gave everything to the Band's Visit, which is disappointing. Uh, I haven't seen that. I haven't listened to it very much. I'm sure it's good, but I don't think... Oh, a Carousel was that year too. Joshua Henry lost to Tony. I was like, it's either going to be Joshua Henry or it's going to be Ethan Slater. And then Tony Shalhoub won for... a. Best leading actor in a musical for a non-singing role. So, and we love Tony Shalhoub. I mean, no, it's not Tony no Shalhoub's shade fault. shade to Tony Shalhoub. It's the Tony Committee's fault. However. Yeah. yeah. Leading actor in a musical for a non-singing role. Anyway, whatever. Uh, I can watch it, so I'm not right. mad about it. Friend of the Pod, Connor Walgus, got to see it on Broadway. Of course he did. Uh, friend of yeah. the Pods, Amy Listy, and Children. Emma Millie also got to, I think Derek was there too. I think the whole Listy family. All the Listies. So I think that was Lucky. Millie's choice when they went to New York. Good choice, Millie. Good job, Millie. Nice. Solid. Your turn. Okay. Um, um, okay. Next on the list of shows Amy has seen that ran for a short amount of time, let's talk about Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Yay! Hey, Though this is a show about death. It's a new party, talking something new. There's nothing medical professionals can do. So maybe just feel If you die while listening to this album, it's still gonna keep playing. There's no destiny or fate, just a terrifying waste. Filled with people that she hates and all the sex and dignity universe kills you. That's the thing with life, no one makes it out alive. So, Beetlejuice premiered on Broadway at the Winter Garden Theater um, with the same cast and creative team that had started the original production um, in Workshop, I believe. Previews began on March 28, 19, with an official opening date of April 25th, 2019. The production was scheduled to close, so it was scheduled to be just over a year-long run, because right. it was scheduled to close on June 6th, yeah. um, because the production... They were hoping to move in, I believe, the Music Man? Yep. They, they into still are. Into yep. the Winter Garden. Um, so the hope was that they would find another theater, but then Corona. Madame Corona came over, and, and they actually, their last show was March 10th, 2020, um, 
before the shutdown. Um, a national tour is planned for the fall of 21. Um, you know, and hopefully, you know, after the pandemic and when it reopens, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully producers will find a new house yeah. so that it can keep running on Broadway. But because technically it's closed right now, I'm going to count it. Yeah, I'll count um, it too. But it's very interesting because they have not said on social media we were closed. They've said like our time at the Winter Garden is done. Yes. They have not definitively said this like, is over. It couldn't possibly be. Right. I mean, it's just so popular so i got to see beetlejuice yes um on friday june 14th 2019 <laughs> um with friend of the pod casey elizabeth parades on our ladies weekend to new york city um and it was phenomenal now i think i've spoken about the first time I went to New York and I saw Avenue Q and it had been like the longest travel day of our lives and I kept falling asleep even though the show oh. was captivating. So I, I don't think so. Another time, pop friends, <laughs> another time. But anyway, same situation. So Casey and I left for New York. He slept over at my house and we both got about an hour and a half of sleep and then we woke up at like 3.30 in the morning mm-hmm. um, to drive to Fargo so that we could get on a plane at like 7.30 a.m. And we rolled into the city um, we got to our hotel at like 1.30 p.m., like didn't take a rest, just changed our clothes and put makeup on, and then immediately went to Stonewall. Yeah. Um, and then Don't Tell Mama, the other amazing cabaret um, uh, cabaret bar, and then um, Casey had got... The, this Beetlejuice is the only tickets we pre-bought, because we knew... Um, and then we, you know, went to the Winter Garden. So, like, we hadn't stopped moving. Yeah. You know, so we, like, sit down. It's getting dark. And I was, like, ready. I was at that place in my, like, psyche, you know. Mm-hmm. And the show was amazing. The show was amazing from top to bottom. We saw, um, it was the understudy, um, Adam. Okay. We saw, but I actually think he took over in September. Uh, when Rob McClure left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I just, it was like foreshadowing for right. him, but it was his first run <gasps> as Adam. Oh, wow. Um, and he did, he was amazing. I mean, the whole show was so fun because it was such a mix of like the movie, the, all the bits that you expect, mm-hmm. the like running through like the afterlife, you know, and like the football players and Juno yeah. and all of that. And then they toy, I mean, they nailed Deo. They, it was yeah. just super cool. You know, but then there was lots of new stuff, like Dead Mom, and they talked a lot about Lydia's mom and how much she missed her. And Hey, Mom, Dead Mom, I need a little help here. I'm probably talking to myself here. But Dead Mom, I gotta ask, are you really in the ground? Because I feel you all around me. Are you here? Dead mom, dead mom. The relationship between her and Beetlejuice was very different than it was in the film. Yes. Um, but it was really, really interesting. And I mean, it was all the magic of the film that you expected. The sandworm. Um, there's one number where there's 14 Beetlejuices on stage. Yeah, that I've seen. They've done it like on, I think it was on The View mm-hmm. or something. Yes. And they all pop out and it's like, where are all these people coming from? It's their it's entire crazy. chorus. Yep, yep. Is, uh, is, you know, and then there's um, the house totally changes. And the house right. like moves and is in a hydro. I mean, it's just, it is so. I'm cool. very upset 
David Ugh. Gordon did not win a Tony for that. I saw a video of him explaining, like, sort of going over some things of the set, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, we have to flip the whole house once Beetlejuice yep. moves in, and, like, there are, like, spikes on the dining room chairs, but he's like, these are all made of foam, so if the actors yeah. don't hurt themselves. Yeah. And it's like, just the mind you would have to have to think of something like that. And David Corns is, like, he's been a set designer for a long time, and he doesn't have a Tony yet, but he, like, designed set for Hamilton, yeah. and this, and, uh, I think Dear Evan Hansen, and, like, a bunch of really high-profile things, and he... Right. So he, I mean, he's on the up and coming list because, like, and all of his sets are different and they're all very dynamic. Like, that's what I love about the Beetlejuice set is that it was it moved and it shifted and the house went back and forth. I mean, it was just so cool and it filled the Winter Garden beautifully. The lighting design, the like, the fog, the whole atmosphere—you knew where you were. Right. Even the proscenium wasn't a square. It was very Burtony. That's very cool. Off kilter. You know, I mean, so it was just really, really cool. But, like, the kicker of the whole thing was that Casey has a friend, two friends, um, Kim, I believe her last name is Kim Saba, and she was in West Side Story with oh. Casey at Frostfire. Oh, cool. Um, and she, uh, she's from, I mean, she's from around here um, and made it big. She was in the chorus. Um, so we got to see her after the production, uh-huh. and then Casey's friend Caroline was, they're not called Child Wranglers anymore. Oh, that's um, Guardians, I child think. Okay. Yep. Um, so, like, anyone under 16 in a production is required to have a guardian backstage with them, um, and Caroline is that. She worked School of Rock. She's worked a whole, and so she was, there was one minor in the production. Um, she was the understudy for Lydia Um, and then she was like the football player that ran around the stage Mm -hmm. this big whatever she wasn't the Girl Scout um, which was I thought the Girl Scout was very but she wasn't she (laughs) was a full grown adult woman Um, but we got we got to go backstage like Lydia or uh, Caroline got us in and Kim gave us a tour so we saw their dressing rooms and their off stage singing room and um, the football players the like line of football players that dances on stage Mm -hmm. is a puppet Oh, There's wow. one person, and the rest of them are connected, and they all, you know... That's wild. Like, it's crazy. I shouldn't give away the magic. You know, we <laughs> stood on the Winter Garden Theater stage. Yeah. We touched this. I mean, it was just, like, the whole experience from top to bottom. The show was excellent. The experience was excellent. And all the actors were just, like, milling about on stage. Yeah. And I was very cool and did not talk to any of them. <laughs> I kept it together. I did not... I was not weird. Um, I always have such a weird time. Like from when I was last in New York, I did the stage door, but it's like, and I like, I have very cool experience from that. Actually, it came up on my memories. Um, four years ago today, I saw the next show I'm going to talk about, and I met um, a friend of the pod, Josh Groban. Obviously. Um, so that was cool, but I was such a freaking nerd, and I was I'm so embarrassed thinking about it now. And it's like, would I do that now? I don't know, but. Like, what, what am I going to say to these people? Like, right. I, I totally recognize they're just people, and yeah. they're just doing their job. Yeah. It's like, what am I going to say? Hey, great show, man. That was cool. Like, right? that all, like what am I going to say? Just, I know. And, like, <laughs> I guess I have found that being a performer has made me much more cognizant of, like, stage door and, like, being around other performers. And they just, like, work their butts off. Right. In a production. Yeah. And they don't need, you know, but, like, I mean, just a simple acknowledgement, acknowledgement of, like, great show. Yeah. Thank you. You know, yeah. I mean, and that's all that you need, you know, totally. and that means just as much, I think, as, oh my God, I yeah. love a picture. You yeah. know, I just like a simple acknowledgement of the work that they put in, you know, it, yeah, it was just, I mean, 
I don't know. So I hope that Beetlejuice comes back because I hope I want every person to see it um, and love it and be, you know, in front of the pot, Ivy McGurin deserves to sit. Hashtag revive Beetlejuice for Ivy. For Ivy. (laughs) Ivy needs this. I Um, heard about they're doing a production of it in South Korea soon because South Korea has sort of been open this whole time. There's like the production of Phantom that's running there right now and they're just like... Like, everyone gets their temperature checked. Everyone is wearing a mask. Everyone is, like... But, like, they have a full house of audience members. So, somehow they've been able to keep theater going throughout this whole thing. So... That's amazing. Good job, South Korea. lives in South Korea. Well, good. There we go. I mean, he's got to live somewhere. Yeah, exactly. In the miniature houses, in the attic, or in South Korea. (laughs) Who's to say? He's somewhere. He's somewhere. He's always somewhere. So, we'll move on to um, the last show that I'm going to talk about, which is uh, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. Here's to happiness, freedom, and life. Whoa! May your travels be swift as a scythe come through the grass. Whoa! Whoa! May your sorrows be counted in number as many as drops of wine and vodka that stay in my glass. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> It's based on a section of War and Peace. Um, Music and lyrics by Dave Malloy. Book by Dave Malloy, directed by Rachel Chavkin. Uh, It opened November 14th, 2016, and closed September 3rd, 2017, which is the day I got married. Or it was my wedding day. Not not the day I got married, my wedding day. Your wedding day. Two separate things. Um, But yeah, uh, so this this synopsis is from uh, Playbill. Natasha is a beautiful ingenue visiting Moscow while she waits for her beloved fiancé, Andre, to return from war. In a moment of indiscretion, she's seduced by the dashing but already married Anatole, and her position in society is ruined. Her only hope lies with Pierre, the only lonely outsider whose love and compassion for Natasha may be the key to her redemption and to the renewal of his own soul. So deep. Um, so, yeah, it's it. That sounds like a super deep and like broody musical, but it's very lively. Um, there are like a million different characters in it, and that's sort of the first song in the musical, is it introduces you to everybody one by one, and it says um, this is all in your program, you are at the opera, you're going to have to study up a little bit if you want to keep with the plot, because it's a complicated Russian novel, everyone's got nine different names. Um, look it up in your program, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. There's a war going on out there somewhere So it's a strange musical. It doesn't rhyme. It's operatic in the sense that it is just song after song after song. Um, and it was at the Imperial Theater. And when you walk in, it was like very, they told, like the lobby of the Imperial is usually like marble and it's like 
Ethel Merman's theater. So they totally redesigned it where it was like very like Cold War Russia. It's like just cement and like like writing on the wall. And then you walk into the actual theater part and it's just like red curtains and gold chandeliers. And it's like, it's sort of, you could sit, it's one of those productions you could sit on the stage if you want to, or they have banquettes at the back and then they had tables and like the chorus is like running up the stage. We were in the second, we were at the very last row of the theater. They were running up the balcony. And um, in this production, they threw up pierogies at the audience. So I, in like these little boxes. So I got a pierogi on this, but I oh. heard in the off-Broadway production, they just had um, pitchers of vodka on the table for oh him, everybody, so they changed it that, and then they have a song in the second act called Letters, and they hand out letters to the audience, too, and it's, like, so interactive and so cool and just oh, such a cool show, and it had a pretty big fan following, which is mm-hmm. what I'm going to get into, so um, this sort of does have, a, like, a reason why it closed. So, like I said, Josh Groban was in this in the original mm-hmm. cast. He was Pierre, um, but he's Josh Groban, and so we only did it till July, right after the Tony run. Which uh-huh. that's Josh Groban has other things to do. Right? He's busy. He's a busy that man. Beautiful um, angelic voice has things to do. And I'm just and I, like I said, I met him, and he was just so wonderful and so graceful, and just let me be a nerd and took this very nice picture with me. And oh, he's so wonderful, yeah. And I, <laughs> I watched his. He had a Christmas concert just this last year, like a virtual one. And he's just such a nerd, and I just, I just Josh Groban is such a great. I don't know him at all, but he just seems like it's the just nicest like, it guy. It just seems like a sweetheart. Yeah. With the voice of a damn it. Him yeah. and Norm Lewis, if him and Norm Lewis did a concert together. Oh my god. Dead. Done. I'm the end. Putting it out there, manifesting this Josh Groban, Norm Lewis. Friends collaboration. of the pod, Josh Groban and Norm Lewis, if you wanted to do a concert and invite your girls. Why don't they from do theater it? Forks. Let's come to Grand Forks, do a concert at the fire hall yeah. for our reopening when our seats are yep. in and everything is done. So put it on your like like May? Yeah. Beginning of Y'all May. Y'all free in May. Everything's closed except for us. So right? let's. <laughs> well, again, um, okay. We're gonna pot. We're gonna put a pin in our chandelier yeah. fundraiser, and now <laughs> now we're the Josh Groban. We are raising money to buy Josh and Norm plane tickets to come and perform for us. So make that happen. Make it happen. Okay, so I'm basically gonna read you this entire article. Um, it's short, but I thought it explained everything. Which is, uh, it's an NPR. It was an NPR story, but then they wrote it up, right. so I can read this. It's called, um, There's No Easy Answer for Why the Great Comet is Closing, and it's written by uh, Elizabeth Blair. So it says, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 was supposed to be the next Hamilton. It was going to invigorate Broadway and attract younger and more diverse audiences, and it almost succeeded. Instead, it's closing on September 3rd, in part because of a controversy over casting and race. The Great Comet is based on the Russian novel War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy. It received rave reviews and 12 Tony Award nominations, including one for its male lead, recording star Josh Groban, and one for its female lead, Broadway newcomer Danae Benton. Benton is African-American, and nearly half the cast is non-white, a fact that the show was praised for. Groban is a big star, and he sold a lot of tickets. On the average, the show made about a million a week. But, as often happens on Broadway, he never planned to play the drunk and depressed Pierre forever. In early July, Groban ended his run, and his replacement was Akurite Onidawan, who you may know um, as Hercules Mulligan from Hamilton. Yes. Also known as Oak. Oak Curietti. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, an African-American he was actor. phenomenal. In Hamilton? Yeah. No, yeah. well, in Hamilton he's phenomenal, but I bet he was really... 
an interesting replacement choice. Yeah, and like this. very different because he's pretty young, I think. Yeah, which is he's an, like my age or a little bit. He no, he might even be younger than me. Okay, mm-hmm. so yeah, so yeah, and and then you know five more years ago, mid twenties, and yeah. And obviously, Hercules Mulligan is such a very different energy right. from Dusty Pierre. Um, but yeah, so um, so he so he talked to NPR in May, and he said he was thrilled to join the show. Um, it's it's important to see yourself represented, he said. And this is such a diverse cast; even the voices, all the voices are completely different. Um, but the ticket sales dropped during Onadawan's run as Pierre. To boost the box office, the show's producers invited Tony and Emmy Award-winning actor Mandy Patinkin to take part. Patinkin had seen The Great Comet both on and off Broadway, and he was a fan. But the decision to replace a black actor with a white one led to a Twitter storm. The website Broadway Black wrote that the abrupt replacement of Onid Allen's role to boost ticket sales raises questions about how black actors are valued and supported within Broadway. Broadway Black editor uh, Andrew Shade said it was disrespectful to Onid Allen and all too common. Uh, quote, people in, of color in the community don't want to get the short end of the stick. They don't want the crumbs. And that's what it sort of feels like at the moment. Patinkin responded to the criticism by canceling his Great Comet run, and then there was a backlash to the backlash. Great Comet fans and cast members took to social media to defend the show. In an open uh, letter, cast member Azudi Onyejiweke wrote that uh, while mistakes were made, he found the show's uh, white creators to have a, quote, thorough, nuanced, pragmatic approach to diversity. Deep Tron co- covered the controversy for American Theatre magazine. She says, uh, quote, the fans of the show rightfully pointed out, the show is the most diverse on Broadway, so why are you making it a target? In the, ed- in the end, Tron says, The Great Comet both pr- proved and disproved some of the misconceptions about what is commercially viable on Broadway. Quote, there is still that bias that only white voices can make money. That show was very diverse, but at the same time, that show also had a white lead as its selling point. So... There we go. I wasn't. I didn't know a lot. I didn't know a lot about that. Yeah. It, it is a very interesting. See, because like I would love to see our friend Oak. In yeah, that. and I mean, that's how they were marketing it. It's like Hamilton's. Yeah. So. I mean, what a opportunity for him to like break type. You know, from yeah. this, like, wonderful, cheeky, Hercules Mulligan character, mm-hmm. James Madison. I mean, and in that show, too, he shows that he can be this, like, Mulligan was, like, the clown. Totally. And James Madison, Madison so reserved. so reserved, yeah. you know. But I feel like what an opportunity for him to showcase what he can do and what an opportunity for, like, the rest of the world to be like, hey, right. let's celebrate the fact that he won't be pigeonholed into a certain type. And you let us down, the rest of the world. So, I mean, what this, I think what this show comes down to is it's a weird show. It's very weird. I love it. I think it's great. Um, But the Groban moms are like the nicest and most loyal fan base in the world. And I just think, you know, they they were hoping that uh, Oak, having been in Hamilton carried more weight than it did and i'm you know if he was replaced with like a more famous black celebrity would this have happened or would it still be like right he's getting the short end of this i mean i suppose if you're cutting right. it's not anyone's contract short they're getting the end short end of the, short stick. End of the stick but like you know if denzel washington came in instead is this right 
Right. And if and if the person who had originated Pierre had not been Josh Groban, right, but had been a lesser known white male actor, would there have been a drop in ticket sales? And was it Josh Groban that was selling tickets? You know what I mean? Like right. so, it's like a very yeah. interesting question. Because usually in the um, times where there was not a Pierre, like Dave Malloy, the composer, just ended up playing Pierre. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the run when they had, because obviously Oak, once Mandy Pitaka came in, he's like, I'm not coming back to save this show. No, so, so Dave Malloy just played it. it till the end of the run. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it may not, there were really, I mean, it's sort of now there are, like Danae Benton, she's been doing things. Um, Amber Gray, who got a Tony nomination for playing Persephone in Hades in Town. Hades Town? She was in this. Oh, um, she's wonderful. But there aren't there are people who are doing things now, but there aren't a lot of like they had a bunch of Broadway debuts in this show. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it had a big online following. But as we've seen with online followings, SpongeBob, Beetlejuice, this they don't translate into buying eighty dollar tickets every night. Right. So it is unfortunately not enough a lot of the time. But yeah. So anyway, I'm not picking one side or the other it's it's it sucks that this is the way it played out um i also in a different timeline i would have loved to see mandy patinkin do this role absolutely oh my god mandy patinkin right but yeah too bad i love great comet it is available for professional licensing now so if there are any professional theater companies out there and hopefully it'll be available to no, uh, non-professional production soon because, um, yeah, it's a huge cast, so it would be great for community theater. You can have yep. a bunch of people very mm-hmm. interactive once we're allowed to get in people's faces again oh, in the theater. Would love to throw pierogies at audience members. I would make them myself. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be so, like, I love shit like that. And there's a very definite, definite like, you love that or you hate it. Yeah. Um, and I feel like a lot of our audience members ah. don't appreciate being um, accosted. Um, in the but I, I think that it's also a fun way to expand people's horizons. Yeah. And like, I mean, we're giving you food. We're, I'm feeding you. Can I at least like be funny about it? I don't know. Catch it. I once went to a Nickelback concert, which isn't <laughs> I should be proud of saying, um, where they brought out like a double cart full of red solo cups full of beer. Just and for free? Frisbeed them to the audience. And, like, Chad Gallagher made a very big deal. I don't remember what famous band he learned it from, but it was, like, another famous rock band's, like, thing. And the the singer taught him how to throw the cup so they stayed upright in the air. Oh, my God. Like, it was great. Like, people were catching That's hilarious. full cups of beer. And the person standing behind me tried to get one that sailed over my head but mm-hmm. knocked it. So then I just got a beer shower. Mm. Well, none of the benefits, all the smell. And I was the driver for the night, so it was super awesome. Um, Anyway, off topic. Anyway. So there we go. Those are my three short-run shows. Um, uh, And there are two cast recordings for Great Comet. There's the off-Broadway cast, um, which features Philippa Sue as Natasha. She was in the original cast, but then, of course, Mm -hmm. she was doing Hamilton Hamilton. during this. Um, So there's that, and then there's the Broadway cast with Danae Benton and Josh Groban. Um, there's an extra song. I think they wrote a song kind of for Josh Groban, um, very, but it's great. Um, so check those out. Um, I love, I love all of these shows. The Great Comet, Natasha Pierre, The Great Comet of 1812, SpongeBob SquarePants Musical, Merrily We Roll Along. Well, I have two more, but I'll just do one more because okay. one of them I've talked of at nauseum. Dogfight, <laughs> my, my favorite Shout out thing. to Dogfight. Shout Listen out to Dogfight. Dog 
Um, but I'm going to talk about um, Exit the King, which is a Eugene Ionesco. I say Ionesco, but I've also heard Ionesco, so please, friends of the pod, do correct me if I've said it incorrectly. Um, so Exit the King um, is an absurdist play um, that is basically about the death of a great king who's ruled for hundreds of years. Absurd. Absurdism. Um, there's a lot of like political and social commentary to be found in the nonsense. Um, it is beautiful. It is wonderful. Um, it was open to it. It was a limited engagement run at the Ethel Barrymore Theater. Um, previews started March 7th, 2009, opening March 26th, and closing June 14th. So I saw it in preview. Okay. In March of 2009, like the around St. Patrick's Day. I was there for spring break, my first trip to New York. Um, and it featured, um, it was directed by Armfield. It featured, it starred, excuse me, Jeffrey Rush, um, who won the Tony oh, as cool. the king, Susan Sarandon, William Sadler, Andrea Martin, Lauren Ambrose, and Brian Hutchison. Like, couldn't have been a more stellar and unique Cast. Yeah, Andrew Martin is so great too. She's so yeah. good. I mean, they were all just. And we got. So Broadway is really kind to students and they yes. often do a student rush section. We got student rush tickets for $25, $25, and we were in the front row center. <gasps> rush tickets are so good. Like, I mean, my I tickets. was with my friend, I think it was my friend Kim. My friend Daphne, my friend William, and myself. There was four of us. And Kim was, like, center front. Her favorite actor in the whole world is Jeffrey Rush. Oh, my God. And, like, during the show, he's dying. He's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and he, like, flops over the stage, and his arm, like, the wind <gasps> of his hand brushed past her face. She was like, just peeing or That something. was the day yeah. Kim died and went to heaven. I <laughs> uh, hope you're well, Kim. Life on. Um, it, it was just, I mean, and I, so like for something like this, I can totally understand why it was a limited run. First of all, that cast. Yeah. They're busy. Right. And secondly, just like we've talked about doing intellectual or cerebral shows here, that's not a show that can run forever because right. it has a very niche audience. Yeah. Not everyone loves absurdism. Not everyone gets it. I don't even get it, but I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love what it. I mean, I just feel like you can say so much, and it's so open for. I mean, there's obviously like very specific intent in absurdist theater, but I feel like there's also all of this room for interpretation and like finding your own meaning. Um, and I, I'm, I love it. I love it. Um, and so, I mean, we were so fortunate to see this limited, and like the whole thing was just interesting it was not i mean i feel like the stage wasn't super huge i'm not sure how big that theater now looking back i don't remember how the big Barrymore, the theater is uh, this is a weird point the barrymore is where the tw- uh 2007 revival company was with uh-huh. girls sparza yep. so i'm picturing that recording yep and that stage is not very large like either. the empire would you say or even smaller <sighs> maybe yeah i don't know it's pretty i mean it was it was interesting and so in the set was this, like, beautiful, decadent throne room of this, like, old, old kingdom that mm-hmm. was, like, when the king dies, basically the kingdom dies with him. It's kind of how it goes. And and the family, I mean, the family's just over the top upset about this king. You know, and, and what you don't realize until the very end of the show, or I didn't, because mm-hmm. I was so entranced with the, sh- the storytelling and the actors, 
is that by the end of the show, the stage was bare. Wow. The set fell down. The walls fell down. As he was dying, the stage was like the physical manifestation of the end of his life. And at the end when he was dead, the walls were down, the tapestries were gone. I think that wow. it was just like a bare throne. If I'm, I might be misremembering. So if someone else saw it, please correct me. <laughs> you know, and it was just like the whole thing. It was, oh my God. It was just what That's an so experience wow. to see as like little baby college theater kids. You know, to see, I mean, musicals are always spectacular. Mm-hmm. But to see a play with just as much oomph as like a musical right. was changed my life. Yeah. And like really showed me like... Plays can be just as impactful as a big musical. That was, I think, maybe one of the first, like, times where I was like, this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was brilliant. And we stage-doored, obviously. <laughs> um, and I have all of the photos because I took the pictures. I'm not in a single photo. Aww. Not with Jeffrey, not with Lauren, not with Susan. Andrea, none of them. But I've got pictures of all of them um, on my Facebook album. Maybe I'll pick the best the days one before and share the front it. Yep. camera. Yes, this is my <laughs> Canon 1.5. Oh, a real camera! Wow. Yeah, digital that I got for high school graduation three years before. It was really good. Hold 150 pictures. Um, so choose wisely. Uh, no, so. We, I mean, and they were just so humble and so lovely. Yeah. And went through and signed everyone's autograph, what, you know, but whatever. Susan Sarandon is, we use, um, there's a teacher that used to teach the Meisner acting technique at UND. I don't okay. know if they still do or not, but Susan Sarandon is a student of Meisner. Um, and so in the movie Stepmom, um, with Julia Roberts, she really, like, put that practice to use. And the scene where she's... It's one of the scenes where she's dying. And mm-hmm. and it's like they're having a very close, intense conversation, but you only see one of them at a time. Um, and so they filmed... Excuse me. They filmed, um, like, separately or whatever. Okay. Um, and so our teacher would always use that scene as an example. And so when we, you know met Susan we were like we we study you in acting class for Meisner and she's like really what you know what film and we're like stepmom and she's like that's so cool where are you guys from and we're like North Dakota and (laughs) I'm so happy to meet you I mean she was couldn't have been nicer to us um yeah it was I mean the whole experience from top to bottom was just amazing and so I feel like for a show like this um it really made sense for it to be a limited run oh totally um but I just I it's so cool that we really that trip was a whole bunch of like happy accidents like we happened upon Blythe Spirit on opening night (laughs) just Stumbled you know, in. like st- we were like, well, let's go to Blaze Spirit tonight, and then there was a red carpet. You know, like <laughs> okay, you know. And wow. So we saw Angela on an opening night. You know, I almost literally I bumped elbows with David Hyde Pierce as I was walking out of the theater. David Hyde Pierce stole the Tony from Ralph Sparza. I know. Two thousand seven. I was not cool about that encounter. <laughs> Poor man, like ducked his face and walked away from me. I was like, you guys, look! <laughs> I was I. Friend of the pod, David Hyde Pierce, if you're listening, <laughs> I apologize. I was not cool in 2009. Not cool. <laughs> Poor man. Yeah. 
That's very cool. It, and it, it speaks to, like, celebrities that do plays on Broadway. Like, those are people can actually act. Yes. Like, I always think, you know, oh, this person's been an actor for a long time, but they've never done anything on the stage. I bet you they can't memorize things very well. I bet you Right? It's be... such a different world. Yeah. Theater is so much work, and you have to really collaborate with people every single day. Mm-hmm. And there's no tricks. Like, you have to be there. You yep. have to know your stuff. And if you don't, you will fail. Yep. I mean, so. there um, there was a rumor about our girl Angela in that production of Blythe Spirit. Oh, yeah. So she was, like, the seer or the, like, medium. And she had this really intricate headset or like this really intricate like um like turban head right. covering on and we're pretty sure there was a monitor mm-hmm. in her ear because there was sometimes where she just like and then continue with her lines <laughs> or like she's absolutely being fed lines and like she in her 70s so you know what you say, do it yeah Angela, when you, when maybe you, 80s by that time when you're already Angela Lansbury like she then. literally walked on stage and got a standing ovation <laughs> like, like exactly. she didn't even you know so it was like that was cool to see yeah you know but I agree with you and I think that there's a very big difference and this is can be a different conversation for another time as well between people who do straight plays and people who do musicals yeah because both are a different beast but I feel like the acting in a play is much more important right. than acting in a musical. Right. Yeah. With, with musicals, there are sort of more areas you have to... You have to be good at all of them. But in uh-huh. a play, there's kind of That's only the That's what you get. You have yeah. to be great at that rather than just good at, at many all things. the other things. Yeah. Like, I can muddle my way through a musical... But I'm much stronger in a right. straight show. Like right. that, I just, I I am an actor who sings. Right. Not, a, you know, and so, but yeah, I mean, I just, I think it's just such a different beast and both are so respectable and I have so much respect for everyone that performs live eight shows a week yeah. and just does it, you know, but yeah. like, it's just, it's a different thing and it, yeah, it was, it's cool to be part of that and I think limited runs with straight shows make a lot more sense. Yes. Then with yeah. musicals. But. Yeah, for sure. And I was reading uh, this book recently from a Broadway producer, and he said, if you can't afford to lose all of the money you're investing in a play or musical, you shouldn't be investing that money at all. So with limited runs, I mean, especially with big stars, you can kind of hope to make your money back, but mm-hmm. it's like, if you're doing this for like 14 weeks, you just want to do it because right. you love it. Right. Because you want this to happen. Yeah. And I hope to one day reach the level of wealthy where I can just give a million dollars to a show and be like, go have fun, kids. Right. And if it doesn't come back, that's you keep the change. Yeah, exactly. Got more in my purse. <laughs> my second wallet. It's my fun money. You know, like one day, exactly. Diana, we'll be there. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's short month, short run shows. Um, what's coming up? Um, our friends at UND, this week they're um, presenting uh, Antagony on their website. Go to uh, burtness.und.edu for tickets, February 23rd through the 27th, online only. Check that out. Uh, our friends to the south are doing the Scottish play. Uh, we're in the theater, so I can't say that word anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, March 4th through the 12th. That is also um, streaming. Friend of the pod, Casey Hennessy, is the title character in <gasps> no, that. No, he is not. He our is. sweet baby Casey. I know. Bunch of people. Oh. Very excited about that. Um, our own home base, we are doing uh, Ripcord by David Lindsay Abair, uh, March 25th through 4th. 4th. 24th. Don't listen to me. 24th through April 3rd. 
First time in your whole life you've ever gotten a date wrong. Maybe. Because I'm fixated on Thursday, because we usually have Thursday Open openings. on Thursdays. We're yeah. opening a day earlier. You get an extra day. Um, that's going to be live streaming, um, so look out for information about that. We're so excited about that. We're so excited to have um, Chris Berg return to the Fire Hall as yes, director. the triumphant return. Um, very excited for everything. Uh, yeah. We will, like Diana said earlier, um, after we record this pod, we are jetting away yes. to film uh, Black History, the Black History Month event that we just told you about. Um, when speaking to the organizers of the event, Sonia and Shantana, um, their biggest thing was the biggest takeaway they want is for people to listen to and share the stories that are being told yeah. today, yeah. and that's what's most important. So please, friends of the pod, do your part. Watch watch this i i haven't seen it yet but i think it's gonna be yeah they're telling us about it and i was getting goosebumps yeah you know me and my goosebumps <laughs> um and i i think it's just gonna be really really it's about taking your place it's about yeah. claiming your space as a black person and i can't wait to support them yeah so like and i share. said we're going to put new things out on facebook every day this whole week and then I think I'm going to stitch them all together and we'll put it on our website um, once everything is done. So um, check it out. Totally accessible to you. Share with all your friends and uh, learn something new this month. Absolutely. So, Theater Forks, uh, thanks for sticking with us. As always, please like, share, talk to us, send us emails. Yeah. We haven't gotten any emails yet. Livestone Nebraska. Oh my god, I almost forgot. We have new merch. Whoa! So we uh we know some of you have difficulties with bonfire and we so we've switched over to red bubble, which means it's not like bonfire where you have to you start a campaign and you have to wait two weeks and then everything ships. This is print on demand. So you get your stuff um right away it starts printing. So we have um Theater Forks shirts, we have water bottles, we have magnets, we have mugs, so we have the Theater Forks design. We have um, my iHeart GF and iHeart EGF shirts are over there now. Um, we have a new design that says support community theater and uh, proceeds for that will go to the fire hall. Um, we have a shirt that says thank you five, which is my new favorite shirt of all time. We have um, a design that says friend of the pod, um, which I think you can get on baby clothes, which I think I'm going to buy for my nephew. Absolutely, Baby friend of the pod. Um, so yeah, that is if you go to our... Um, link tree, which is in our um, Instagram or Facebook or whatever, that merch link is in there now. So yeah, all new, all new stuff. Yeah. So check it out, friends of the pod. Check it out. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thanks everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being with us. And uh, until next time, uh, bye bye. Theater Forks is hosted and produced by Amy Driscoll and Diana Shabai Booker. Our theme song was composed by Connor Walgus. Visit us at facebook.com slash theaterforkspod on Instagram at theaterforkspod or email us at theaterforkspod at gmail.com.